Well, we're sitting here in Dunedin, and I'm sitting with Chris, my wife and partner of 30-odd years. 30-odd. And we're talking about uh, computer programming and the early days and through the years, just as a background for people who are coming to podcast and wondering what it's about. Right. <laughs> what earth we are. And who on earth we and are. And why we feel qualified to even have this conversation. Right. And why are we qualified to have this conversation? Because we've been doing it um, to make a living for rather a long time now. Since the early 80s. Since the early 80s. Um, now, that's not the 1880s, that's the 1980s. 1980s. Yes, but even that may be an obscurely distant time in the past for some people. Many people. <laughs> <laughs> the ones who are likely to listen to podcasts yeah. among them. Now, I believe that you were the first um, commercial programmer in our partnership back then. I can't quite remember the details. Were you writing the bat file system for the restaurant before I started Aztecs? Yes, yes. In fact, I wrote the payroll system in DBase 2 and the bat files that went with it well before the Aztec project. And that was my first project? Ah, you did do the project for the Commodore PET and um, the chemist. But that never got... It never flew. It never flew. No, it did not fly. Like a dead parrot, it never (laughs) really took off. Yes. I mean, there haven't been a, a lot of projects over the years that have not flown. Um, Your first flyer was the Scales Project. Was that? That was before the Restaurant Project. Okay, was it? Yep. Right, okay. So that was um, uh, a DBase 2 project, and that was, uh, again, in the early 80s. We won't be going into too much depth. Um, We'll just highlight some of the projects um, and why they were important. That, that one was important to us because it was probably my first project. Um, a couple of things I learned from that project, I think that's, that really spring to mind is that uh, when you're doing number to, uh, to words calculations <laughs> or dates to full word calculations, which of course wasn't when built into the system back then if you wanted to uh, write the 1st of February 1982 in words or $2,016 in words as opposed to numbers you had to we had to write the code in DBase 2 to actually do that calculate do that. Yes to translate the numeral into the words. Into the words and um, and that program printed shares in 
um, the company it was for. Yeah, share certificates. Share certificates. And after doing uh, significant uh, thousands and thousands of dollars of shares printing out, the lesson I learned was um, get somebody to proof the spelling of Thursday, I believe, was the... And 40. And 40. (laughs) Two words that uh, were incorrectly spelled in the code and uh, and required shredding a large number of stock st- certificates <laughs> and reprinting them. Fortunately, the paper was relatively cheap. Yes. But spelling was a big thing. I remember with the, the reason there was a bat file for the restaurant system was because when I said type debase, she was typing D-E-B-A-S-E, which is the word debase, but is certainly not the word I was expecting her to write. Yes. So the Macintosh came along quite quickly, um, and we were fortunate enough to be uh, programming on the first Macintosh in Wellington, if not in New Zealand. Yes, they weren't officially for sale in New Zealand when that one reached the country. Um, and um, that was Mac Lyon and uh, the drama of external storage. Yes. Um, so we hadn't done any programming on the Mac, nobody had, and um, we were fortunate enough to have it on loan for three months. That Mac, yes, we had that Mac on loan for the three months it took to learn, get the software, learn how to drive it, and write the application for the customer. And the big lesson out of that one was back up your source code. Yeah, especially if nobody's checked the spelling (laughs) of your screen layouts. So the version 2 of that software was written in a new development language that was meant to be a lot quicker and a lot easier to learn Um, and that was it didn't use reverse Polish notation. And it didn't, yes. Well, they were database applications. Yes, we yeah. we were definitely database-driven programming. People had real data that they wanted to manipulate and store and retrieve, and so that was always the focus. And back then, when people bought a computer, it was with the expectation that it would do something for their business. It wasn't just for spreadsheeting and word processing and browsing the internet. Um, it was, in fact, a tool for a business tool. That, that was the original conversation you had to have with every business when discussing what a computer would do for them because they had no computerization. The only people with computers were the big international traders who had systems that cost them millions of dollars 
um, and ran on mainframes and this idea of small business computing was totally new. The exciting thing about programming in that time, and in a way it's almost come full circle here, is that because there were no off-the-shelf products, people were getting the computer system to emulate and improve what their manual systems were. So every system was unique. As off-the-shelf software products got traction, people started running their businesses in ways that fit the software. But that early software was driven by the way people ran their businesses. So every job I had to learn how to do their job and then teach the dumbest machine on the planet how to do their job. Yeah. And look for ways of the fact that that machine could do some things really well and easily to actually improve their human-based systems and free people's time up. Well, I know with that first system um, for the first Macintosh, the lady that was doing the job suffered bad RSI from writing multi-part by hand. She had to press so hard in to go through all the layers, layers of carbon paper to to do that mm. that she had RSI. So moving to a computer, it seems strange nowadays, was actually to relieve her RSI, and they were able to process uh, so much more data that normally would have taken her two to three weeks to do manually was taking two to three days to do with the computer. So not only did it take the pressure off her hands and wrists, um, it gave her time to provide much better quality control to the work she did. I think looking back at the, those times, the other interesting project that um, we worked on and the, that was when we worked with Tom and Peter um, was the icebreaker system. Yeah, the icebreaker and the other one that's sort of weirdly important in the big scheme of looking back at things was the Toyota system. True. Because that was actually a pilot for a system that they then brought out worldwide. Of course, now it's totally web-based, but the web wasn't an option back then. And um, New Zealand being nice and isolated and relatively small was an ideal test space for a pilot program. Yes, and when you sit down and discuss projects with people you don't realize that your ideas and your views on how inventory should be managed is going to be picked up and adopted by a huge multinational and become um, a, a catchphrase that uh, just-in-time procure, procure, procurement yes just-in-time ordering systems are now a well-established, in fact, a dominant form of inventory management. Which 
at that time was a novel idea to them and it was only being able to be facilitated because of the um, the computer software that we were developing. It sounds a lot flasher than it was. <laughs> I mean, it was it was it was one little Macintosh grinding through the, the and doing this database management stuff. But it was the concepts that we were sharing with each other and the ideas of how to improve this uh, production process. Um, and um, I think that I, the reason I, I talk about the icebreaker system was it was one of the few systems where it had to manage a lot more than just one um, space or, or um, manage... More than one domain of a business. But yes, yes. yes. It really was a huge system in in terms of the different activities that it had to do. So just a quick overview. It was for um, a filmmaker back when they shot on film and they were doing a documentary in sub-Arctic Russia. Um, And so they took the Mac and my software and it managed the footage as far as how much had been shot not the not the not the video footage or anything like that but the actual physical film stock it managed in multiple currencies it managed the um the uh, payments local payments it managed the budgeting um and it other things spring to mind? That is a long time ago. It, it, it basically was an entire general ledger. As well, yes. For, the, for that project. For that project, um, yes. In multiple currencies. In multiple currencies. Um, and, yes, it, it was... It was amazing, even at the time, doing it, because up until then, as you say, people would get us to write software to do quite a specific task. It was going to operate their payroll, or it was going to track the process of building picture frames, but something that was actually going to do accounting and inventory and miscellaneous other tasks was, yeah. Was something only a custom... A custom software could do, and it never occurred to anybody that this that would be unique or that would be unusual. Mm. Um, And the same with the picture framing. Um, You know, there was um, back then there was no saying, "Oh, well, that domain doesn't, you know, isn't what computers were for." If somebody came with a problem and said, this is the problem that we're trying to solve. I learnt the job. I looked at the ways that we could apply computers and what they could do back then to the problem and put together a solution for them. So it wasn't... um, A lot of those projects were not constrained by 
is this spreadsheeting, is this database, is no, this... No, they weren't. You're right. There was no... Though Those sorts of, of headspaces weren't there at all. It was, this is a job that needs to be done. The computer is going to make it possible for us to do it better slash faster. Well, in some cases, at all. At all, yes. yeah. So... I think looking back, um, one of the other main programmers in New Zealand at this time when we were talking bragging rights about the projects that we had done, um, he, we considered him probably the top programmer in New Zealand at that time as far as Apple Mac, technically wise. Um, he gave me the title of the most prolific <laughs> and I think that was true at that time. We wrote more applications for more people. For more widely different tasks. Throughout the yeah, 80s I... and on... Yeah, it was really that period from 83 to 1990. Yes. And as a part of that, I think it's important to note that we found FileMaker. Mm. And were early adopters of FileMaker. Not, back then it wasn't programmable, it was just a table. But what we were able to do with it was to give, to put the power of managing data back into the hands of the people responsible for that information. Mm. And that, that was the fascinating thing with FileMaker, was that it became people's jobs. That they found that they could do their whole job using this tool and became very, very expert at driving it to the point where one or two of those people came back and ran workshops later on in how, how to use FileMaker. Yes, and as I say, this was before it was scriptable. This is when it was just flat tables. Um, and so our role was not so much programming but the the computer but helping the individuals and the organizations analyze their jobs and the jobs to be done and analyze the data structures and how the different tables related um, so so that was that was interesting after we decided to move to the west coast one more story before that was was learning the importance of preference files yes this is another omnis story we're up to omnis three by then which was vastly superior to the previous version because you could have up to a dozen files open simultaneously um and gst had just been was just being introduced in New Zealand 
and lots and lots of software development was happening around that whole small business accounting and being able to calculate GST. So many bits of software believed the statement that GST was and would only ever be a flat 10%. Ours was the only software that we knew of that that number was stored in a preference file and when a few years later GST changed to 12.5%, our customers just had to change it in the preference file. Which was a big learning thing for us. This is all before the internet. There were no easy access to even listening to other programmers talking about programming. It was being invented. This was hard. hard yeah, this was being invented as we went. As we went. It, we were iterating through. And, and I think it was that very prolific thing that, that you talked about and the fact that we had a team of of good people who worked on individual projects but shared a lot of knowledge with each other. The discussions that we had about what was the best way to do things programmatically. Yes, well we had Tom, who I mentioned before, who was came to us and he came down from the SAS area so he bought with us with him to us the commercial large mainframe mm. view of documentation and um, squeezing as much out of one line of code as you possibly could and then on the other hand we had Peter who came from the hobby end of the spectrum with an immense enthusiasm and drive who pushed up and um, through uh, just sheer dint of enthusiasm often writing miles and miles of code to achieve the, what perhaps Tom could do in one line but we stood in the middle of those two style Mm. We, we recognised they were stylistic options rather than good or bad. And, and worked with, work with both of them and encouraged both of them to learn from each other and, and find tools and ways of thinking in what the other did that could improve their own performance. There were, there were so many projects that I can't we, can't... we can't talk in depth about every no, one. No, every um, now and then when going through boxes of old paperwork we find traces of, of others that were just done, completed, paid for and never thought of again. And as we said, at that point, to the best of my knowledge we had very few um, projects that didn't fly that we started once we got to the Mac mm. uh, there were a couple of contracts where I was asked to go and work on other people's projects that 
they were being used and our contract ran out, I think. They took, somebody else took over it. But I think overall, um, nothing springs to mind where we actually didn't deliver working software. Mm. Some of it wasn't well documented. <laughs> Some of it wasn't well documented. Some of it we were really scrambling to work within the limitations of the software at the time. Yes. Um, but yes, we, we delivered and looking back, some of that software ran for years and years and years uh, with no further updates. But that was normal back then. Excel was at version 1.1 yes. for years. Yes. Yes, people spent a huge amount of money on the, on the technology and expected it to go forever. Mm. The expectation was never that there would be a yearly subscription uh, an annual maintenance cycle and that hardware would be replaced every two years. That, that when the SE came out, after the, we understood the um, Mac Plus because, oh, you got more RAM and we saw some cl clear advantages oh. of the Mac Plus. But a new model, an SE, and then the new, and then, so it was actually quite, um, interesting to suddenly to come to that realization that uh, we're not we weren't actually providing a solution that was going to be around for a long time to moving to the idea that software is a commodity and hardware is a um, it's depreciated in short order in short order so we moved so we did that until the late 90s and then moved to the West Coast. We moved to the West Coast in October 1990. We did that oh, through 90, the late 80s. 80s. Late 80s, right. You said yeah. 90s before. <laughs> yeah, 90 was the pivotal year. Yes. So um, that, we won't get into the politics of what was happening with Apple and the Mac at that point and versus Windows, but... We, I started working on, on Windows and worked There was with, a wee gap there because it wasn't till Windows got to version three, 3 that we really did much work with it. Yeah, but you know, we, yeah. we're here to talk about what we did, not yes. things yeah. that we didn't do. <laughs> Fair enough. So Microsoft Access... Microsoft Access was really the key technology in the Windows Voyage. And again, our ability to look at processes and to look at um, the needs of the customer. Mm, to look at their existing workflows. And say, this can help in this way. Um, so there was basically two projects there that were resounding successes being um, Timber Pack, which tracked timber through the milling process. 
so it started with raw timber and it, it was basically to give management the ability when somebody rang up well the office girl actually <laughs> management say it's for them but in reality it's the poor office girl that really needs it so yes somebody who had logs and had sent them for milling wanted to know where to where they were in the process where the hell's my timber <laughs> and they had no way of knowing they had literally no way of knowing the logs would arrive and well they did have tags on the ends of the physical pieces of wood and it was possible if it was fine enough to walk around the yard looking for the tags on the ends of the piles of timber and um, get an idea not a precise one, but an of idea. Where some of their timber was. Of, yes, what points and what processes some of their timber was. So the software solved that problem. Yeah. Um, the other one, which uh, we can't say too much about because we signed non disclosure documents, but. I think it's safe to say that it was adopted by a New Zealand-wide government department distributed throughout the country, um, was had a successful rollout and failed because, well not failed, but it was superseded. It was superseded and... By a multi-million dollar system. Yes. So... It was successful, and I think the the cap, the feather in the cap on that one was when Wellington rang us and said, and the guy in charge of, of the whole process said uh, he'd never encountered software that was so easy to use or had such a, a helpful and comprehensive help. And that was because it wasn't designed for them. It was designed for their customers and the fact that the government department bought it was a side effect. It was actually written for their customers and it was going to be distributed to their customers, but they stepped in and bought it. So that's all we can say on that project, other than it was successful. It was yes, extremely yeah. successful yeah. and, um, and a, a very big rollout. And I think that brings us to what could be technically my biggest failure and I think that um, that that project w was a dispersed network of Windows PCs running um, office automation uh, on a Microsoft system that just simply would not stay up <laughs> and I spent nearly two years of my life like a man those men in the circus that have the long poles and the plates balanced on top where they wiggle the poles and spin the plates and they run from pole to pole to pole spinning 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 and get 16 plates spinning in the air well i had 16 microsoft pcs running microsoft office and a server back end and I spent two years running from PC to PC <laughs> writing software and spinning, spinning, spinning on the spot. Um, 
So the, I put that down as my biggest failure in software development. It did actually do. Oh, what the, what, the, what they it were, was tasked the, to, to do. do. Yes, but not without me. Not without constant running from me keeping stick it to stick. Stick to stick. The the yeah. software was great. The soft. It, everybody involved considered the software as being absolutely great, but eventually I just could not be bothered running from stick to stick anymore and pulled the plug on it and um, and they replaced it with a off-the-shelf um, Linux system? Anyway, so... Oh, a very large system that, that another council had paid for, for the, the development, development of, of that yeah. did not rely on Windows. Yes, that <laughs> networking. Okay, and at that time... Or just after the new iMac was released. A few years after, but yes. It was a turning point. Windows 95 shipped while you were completing yes. that software. Yeah. yeah. And I believe we changed to the Mac in 97. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it, you know, yes. so so it, at that time we came back to the Mac. Yes, we came back to the Mac. And that was OS 9, and the development system that I started learning was a Visual Basic type clone, and we wrote a number of little utilities in that system. I think the one of note at that point was probably um, the one that did I.O. to a set of deer scales. Mm. And so it read in... Another bit of software that just got put in place and sat there and ran and ran and ran until other things changed that meant it was no not no longer needed. Needed. And so that software so that was OS nine and there was a number of little utilities that, that I did mm. at that, that stage. Nothing significant. And we did a lot of FileMaker work. That is where we got back into FileMaker. Well I got back into FileMaker. Yeah. And then OS ten came out and we looked at the beginnings of Coco, and that overwhelmed me initially. But I made I made a commitment that I was not going to le learn any more high-level languages or systems, mm. because up to that point, I think I've developed in fifty different high-level systems from DBase 2, Fox, Omnis. Yeah. Etc. Etc. Access. <laughs> Access. <laughs> Etc. So I I and again we'd become oh uh, I did that project which is probably uh, one a pivotal, 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 pro, 
Pivotal. Pivotal. <laughs> he can't even talk properly. How the hell can he program? Um, was the work with Schoolmaster and the absentee system. That was interesting. It was the first time that we were doing remote access of, to a system in, well, across the internet. Yes. Sending and receiving packets of XML data and then parsing that. Yes, that was the first internet-based project. I remember our first Mac, well, another one of our first Mac projects was um, porting all that word processing database information for the golden bullion dealer. Oh, right, yes. Into his Mac. That was another big it was a huge project. Project. Yes. Um, and that that's really got us started on parsing files and converting them to different formats. Mm. Um, that's that was really a point where we started moving away from database into dealing with the files themselves. And as you say, the parsing. We went, you know, back with and played with databases again with Access. Oh, yes. But um, that that was where you were working in Pascal on Windows and various basics, and and trying to find a lower level answer to the pro to some of these problems. Yeah. So that that meant I had to learn about XML. Yes. And that has been a key technology that I've been working with since, mm. really. Um, and even now... Over 10 years now. Yes. Anything that comes across my plate... Uh, down on the internet that's got dot xml on it is like okay well i know the tools to open and do stuff with that well we continued on with learning objective c and writing apps and then on into the app store and up to present times. Some of those apps that were, were written, um, I'm thinking of the Temperament Sorter. Right, yep. Were written, maybe there was a Windows version. So there's been a version of that for a long time and it has been through three different language transformations. It's a very simple, very, very simple app. And again, I'm just learn, learning Swift and I'm thinking, well, we've got to revisit all our apps on the App Store because they need to be converted to Swift. Um, and that's another one that I'm looking at doing. So these will all have 
their own episodes because it's a current in the modern software yeah, category. they are in the modern software category so we have continued to write software we have continued to publish software and I'm just finishing up it is there anything else that you're thinking of that you would like to add at this point looking back I think for me I moved from the actual coding part of software development which I was very involved in early but as we had the team of programmers I moved far more into being the liaison between the development team and the customer in, in focusing on the human interaction and the, the customer experience of the software. For me, you have always been the first person to break my software. That is part of my job. Yes, <laughs> I am a software breaker. <laughs> Just when I had it perfect, I would pass it across to Chris, and within a very short amount of time... There she is, staring at console, wondering <laughs> where it broke. Where it broke and why. So, um, it, it's a, a very important part of the process. One of the things that is exciting me about this Women with Code project that we're looking at is the fact that it will give you an opportunity to get your feet muddy or your hands dirty <laughs> or something with coding again because... Um, which I am looking forward to. I mean, but over I the did, years I you've done... I did two Cocoa projects. And... One very early. Yes. And another one only about three years ago. And you've dabbled with AppleScript and... And, you know, I still dabble with AppleScript from time to time. Um, but, yes, I am looking forward to, to doing something in Swift and taking another step in my software engineering experience no oh, engineering <laughs> that's where we we wear engineers hats and yes two tone whistles and, and people throw rocks at us yes. <laughs> so that's a, a brief history and time of our development and i think the one of the important lessons and to end this on uh, note of appreciation for um, the tools Apple have given us over the years. Um, two things really. One, standing on the shoulders of giants has enabled us to do absolutely amazing things. And the second thing to come from that quarter as well, which has also had probably the most promote profound um, thing in, in my whole career as a developer is Steve Jobs' comment, real programmers ship. And that 
process of going from banging out code to actually shipping apps is a huge wide gulf that that jobs quote has forced me on many occasions to bridge that to to say well I'm not doing my job if I'm not shipping applications and so you can buy our applications on the App Store and you can buy our, our applications on our own store the reason you can buy them on the uh, on our own store is because some of my applications do things that can't be done on on App Store apps on, with App Store apps in other words they uh, reach out their utilities they reach out into your into your computer and allow you to do things that App Store apps aren't, won't allow you to do um, because of sandboxing which I think is an excellent thing so sandboxing for our sandboxed apps are on the App Store and apps that aren't or can't work with that within the sandboxing are available on our own store so the goal for this podcast is to have an episode for each of the available apps. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon.